Again, we have experience with this type of vaccine in billions of people. It's a safe vaccine. Of course, with the mRNA, there's a very, very, very low risk, particularly in young men, of getting a myocarditis. But if you look at the risk of myocarditis from COVID itself is greater than the risk of the vaccine. Are you sure? Uh, that's not what very uh, did he say very very or very 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 safe i think he said very very safe that's scientific ladies and gentlemen we are back sorry for the prolonged absence we don't know where have you been hey i've been here the whole time well i haven't i had to have emergency surgery i've been out for months we do not know where we will go from here but we will make some content we'll get back to some sort of regularly scheduled program soon ish yeah uh, so we came back today because we got a book offer or not a book offer. Yeah. They're writing a book about us. Yes. A book offer for us. Yep. So exciting. Absolutely. <laughs> no, Dr. Michael J. Schwartz, Fauci's fiction. Yeah. So, awesome. Awesome book. Yeah. The, the cover is, if nothing else, buy it just for the cover to sit around when your liberal friends come over. Yeah. If you have any liberal friends, yeah. you probably don't if you listen to this show, but. But yeah, I tell you, so. this this book right here, I haven't read it yet. <laughs> but from what I understand, it's amazing. Now we're we're talking to the author today. Yes, and we have. Which I did read it. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, I'm on chapter three. Hey, calm down. And I just haven't read it because it's not out on Audible yet, and I can't read. <laughs> the graphic is good. I meant to ask, uh, you know, who 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 the artist was. But I tell you what, it's not about. Bashing Fauci. Yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, it's not about that. This he's rarely mentioned. Yes, this just states the facts. You can't argue yeah. with facts. Well, you can, and they do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I stand correct. Yeah, you just ignore them and then make and up you can your steal own. an election. Oh, yeah. wait a minute. You uh, you ignore them and make up your own facts. That's what they do. So yeah. yeah. So here is our interview. Um, we will be back with you in the near future. So uh, we actually are not in our studio anymore. It was reappropriated for other means, so the sound may be a little bit different, but we will, uh, again, we're, everything's kind of up in the air, but again, this this was interesting to all of us. Um, we I believe in what this guy has done and, and whatnot. I enjoyed the book thoroughly. Uh, it's really good information. Um, it's it, not, I mean, there, there's no real political slant here. This is just the facts. Is, is somebody that was on the ground from day one. Yeah, so. and you can't argue with facts. Hang on a minute. <laughs> so, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, here is our interview. Michael, tell us a little bit about you and, and kind of your background, who you are, and um, really what made you decide to write a book like this. Yeah. So I, you know, I've been in business for 30 plus years now and, uh, I've owned a lot of different diverse companies over the years, but I got in medicine many years ago in the lab space and then eventually opened up a couple practices. I'm a, a research doctor myself, but I employ a lot of medical staff and these DOs, a lot of nurse practitioners. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 the, the reason I wrote the book, I mean, we were actually the first company in New Jersey to start COVID testing. We were the, and that, that's kind of a happenstance is how that happened. But one of the labs we work with was one of the first 30 in the nation to get FDA approval to do that. So we were just set up from the get-go. We had done respiratory pathogen panels in our office for years. We had the swabs. We knew how to do this. 
And uh, once we started talking to folks every day after we started disseminating the data, we'd have these long form conversations with each patient trying to explain everything from masks to vaccines to just about anything and everything COVID. And after a while, enough of them said, Hey, you should really write a book. And there, and I did. Wow. Yeah. So I guess what, um, during all the research and everything and, and all the patients that you've had, what are some of the scariest things that you've come across? Uh, great question, but hard to answer. You know, from the beginning, when you start seeing the data come through and, you know, watching, everybody's watching the same thing, doom and gloom on TV, the CDC saying one thing, and we were kind of all in the same boat. We're glued to those, those press conferences, wondering what's next. Is this the next big thing? Is this what's going to bring the, the world down? You know, how, how deadly is this thing really? So we were taking a lot of precautions. When we started testing in the beginning, and you got to remember, I had 19,000 patients. I had over 4,000 positives. Uh, we started noticing a couple things right from the get-go. We started noticing that, number one, this thing wasn't as deadly as everybody was saying. 90% of my 4,000-plus positives were asymptomatic or mild, and it depends on how you define mild. If you define mild as not needing hospitalization, we only sent four patients in total to the hospital. Wow. Most of the time, that was from dehydration or you know, folks that just weren't taking care of themselves. We didn't lose one patient during COVID, but we started to notice this stuff early on. Right from the get-go, after about a couple, maybe two, three, four hundred patients, you know, you're starting to put the data together, saying, "Hey, this this really doesn't make sense." You know, folks with fevers, it break in two days, they recover, and these patients, don't forget, I, I got to put it in context a little bit for you. I called every single patient uh, personally, myself, every single positive to go over their symptomology, what they were feeling, what they were experiencing, and then following up with them to see how they were doing. Most were recovering fine in a day or two. Uh, and, and those are the ones that were symptomatic. The ones that were asymptomatic, most of them, you know, they never developed the symptom to begin with. So, you know, what's the biggest thing? I mean, right from the start, it was that the data didn't match. And then as you go through the, the lineage of COVID, the years of, you know, lockdowns and mask wearing, and there's a lot to unpack here, but it, it changed as the months went on. One of the things I noticed is that you made a, a true effort to make it not political, or put any political opinions or your political leanings into it. And I thought you did a good job at that. But I think, and again, you didn't really touch on it, but I think overall, in my opinion at least anyway, is that the reason there was the disparity between what you were seeing and what the media was selling was purely political purposes. And and I've said it since we've been doing this show, that is when healthcare becomes political, Everything is political. So the people that tend to be apolitical and not pay attention, maybe only every four years, I think my personal opinion, and your book just reinforced this belief, is that more people need to pay a lot more attention to what their elected representatives are doing. And especially, the, the and that's not a problem that, that we ever had as far as some of the stuff that you were covering where, you know, the media had this specific narrative, the truth by and large was, was always out there, but you're not going to get it from anybody in the mainstream media. But, um, and again, a lot of it was, you know, you could, it could be considered anecdotal obviously from the beginning, but there is a lot of people just like you sounding alarm early on if you knew the places to look, but obviously the overall larger segment of the population was not doing that, which again is indicated through your personal experience. Yeah, I, I tried to keep it apolitical, and I, I, you know, and I appreciate the compliment because I figured the data would speak for itself. And you know, once you start going down a road of political narrative, most people try to discount the book and say, "Well, it's coming from this perspective," you know, and that's, exactly. that's not where I wanted to go here. 
we wanted to teach people the truth about this. And that's why I mean, we talk about everything from masks to vaccines to testing, how testing works. One of the, one of the biggest things I, I mentioned in the book is we're on a same, we're on a different uh, page as far as language is concerned. I mean, we, you, you would think that if we're in the most deadly pandemic the world has ever seen, and we all have to, you know, work together and work as one to fix this thing that everybody would speak the same language, putting somebody on TV like me for a half hour in the beginning of the pandemic to explain how vaccine, you know, not maybe the vaccines at that point, but how viruses transmit, how, how, you know, timelines, the difference between isolation, quarantine, the little things, the little things matter. Because when you put all those things together, it, it calms people's fears. It, it, it lets them understand the totality of the circumstances so that we can deal with this as a whole. But that didn't happen. You had all these talking heads on TV that were just reciting the exact same talking points that the CDC would come out with. Even doctors that I had seen on television before, maybe respected or, you know, channels I like to watch that I, you know, valued their opinion. Now all of a sudden I'm hearing some of the same talking points on these things just do not match what we're seeing on the ground. We're, my staff would look at each other every day and shake our heads in disbelief of what folks were saying, whether it was, you know, whether it was mass or transmittal. And then of course, when the vaccines came out, the, 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 the littlest things like breakthrough cases, we never ever use the word breakthrough cases in our office because that would then say that, that, that COVID was breaking through the vaccine. We knew from the beginning that you could catch this thing, you could give this thing if you were vaccinated, but that's not what you heard every day in the mainstream media. And yeah, there were folks out there saying certain things. I don't think anybody else in the country, though, has the horizontal data that we do. So it's a lot easier for us to prove that. And when I say horizontal data, we tested a lot of the same people every single week for almost three years. So when you test the same population, whether it's at a nursing home, assisted living, or a police department, every single week, you learn a lot of things. And that's one thing that the mass testing allowed us to do. There's a lot that's not in the book that I'm happy to discuss with you today, you know, just opinion-based. But we learned so much from doing 44,000 COVID tests, and, and, and it really could help us in the future with handling anything. Uh, but I don't think a lot of folks have learned. Uh, anything over the last three years, unfortunately. So Michael, how did you, and it may be in the book, but how did you go about testing the same patients so frequently over three years? There were a lot of, in New Jersey, the nursing homes and the assisted living mandated weekly testing of the employees and of the, um, uh, of the assisted living folks that were, that were living in the community. And same thing with a lot of police departments. We did a lot of, you know, sewage places. I, I can't even tell you, it was, it was kind of crazy who would start to call us and say, can you come to our place and test us weekly? Okay. And that stems from the, the fact that we did uh, wellness exams for a lot of municipalities before the pandemic started. And a lot of those clients called me up and said, hey, this COVID thing is starting to freak us out. Can you come in and do weekly testing? We want to do it every Wednesday. And they were just trying to be, you know, cautious to mm -hmm. take people out of circulation or, isolate someone who was, so they wouldn't get their entire population uh, infected. They did that at a, as a precautionary measure, but I don't think they realized that delving into that amount of mass testing would, would translate into all of this horizontal data that really paints a picture for, for viruses and bacterial infections as a whole. Things that we never really thought of, like for, for instance, when I told you that 90% of my patients were asymptomatic or mild, I do write about this in the book, my immunologist and I had a conversation one day where I said to him, I wonder how many asymptomatic flus are in the world every year. Yeah. We don't test everybody at flu season, but I bet if you did, you'd find that it's rampant throughout the entire nation. Yes. Um, and then you said that you were among what the 30, the, the first 30 clinics or companies or something to, 
to um, no one of the one one of the labs that I work with was one of the first thirty in the nation to get FDA approval. The first day we could actually test for COVID was on March sixteenth of twenty twenty. But we were set to go that day, the first legal day we were allowed to test because we had supplies, we knew how to do this, and we work with boutique labs, not like the LabCorp and Quest of the world. I was I was getting my samples back in one day. I don't know if you remember back, there was a time where you had to wait 10 or seven right. days and then it became a three day test that, you know, we never said that because we always got ours back in 24 hours. So during that process, did you ever come across any other doctors or clinics or anything that were kind of on the same page as you with this? Or did you ever receive anything from like the CDC or like recommended things to say or anything like that? Like, did they ever come across anything? Like no, we flew under the we flew under the radar for the most part. And no, as far as the other clinics are concerned, most of the folks that were in, at least in our area, a lot of them shut their doors. I mean, we had worked with a lot of doctors in, in laboratories in lab space that just weren't open anymore. They were afraid to bring COVID back home to their family and friends, so they shut their doors. So we were kind of on an island of our own, and um, we didn't really think about anybody else. It was always our clients and our patients that we were concerned about. As a matter of fact, the day that I put out. Uh, I, I actually just put one one thing up on social media that I had I was doing COVID testing. And the next thing you know, I was so busy I couldn't handle the volume, so I didn't. I never put it out there after that one post because my phone was ringing off the hook. Because no one, if you remember, nobody in the beginning was doing this. No one right. could get a COVID test. So the, the swabs that I had were like gold, and then they started to run out. And before you know it, you know it was you know you're begging the lab to start doing something. There's a whole story about how the labs kind of, you know, did something ingenious to make their own samples. But uh, for, for the better part of maybe two months or so, we had a, a hard time just sourcing samples. No, oh, that was across the board with every industry. We, we endured that, obviously, in a completely different capacity. But going back to, to the uh, nursing home, when doing the multiple testing, that was one of the most um, probably pointed things in the book. And, I you know, I heard the stories and known people that didn't get to attend funerals and stuff like that, but you're uh, recounting <clears throat> how these people, you know, they're locked down all day. They're scared and they have their friends dying and there's what a depressing and um, sad affair. What, what occurred in all the nursing homes, not to mention what happened in New York state. Um, yeah. That that's heartbreaking. Like I, and just the little amount that you talked about that, you know, it, it, it choked me up a little bit. It's, it, it's, I've, I'm glad I didn't have to witness that in the way that you did. Well, it's sad that we had, we didn't have to do that. I guess that's the whole point of the book. We knew a lot of this. We probably knew we, we could have changed course on COVID by April, uh, May at the latest of 2020. It, it, it did not need to take two, three years and mass chaos and lockdowns, kids out of school, suicide rates going up. And for me, having to watch those interactions with nine year old, uh, you know, people in assisted living doing a birthday through a window with their family, you know, 30 feet away, it, it was just, it's, it's, it's incomparable that we did that. And it, I, you're alluding to, you know, Governor Cuomo, Governor uh, Wolf in Pennsylvania, and my Governor Murphy in New Jersey, throwing people back into nursing homes, the most, the most vulnerable of our population. What we, the first nursing home that we tested, we got a call. It, it wasn't mandated yet. There was a guy in, in New Jersey who had called me and said, I want to be proactive. I'm worried about this thing. Can you come in and test my population? He did not want his staff tested. That was fine. But he just had 15 people die in his, in his assisted living. So we came in and tested 56 people, I think it was, and 15 roughly were positive. We couldn't believe it, number one. I mean, if we were, first of all, none of these people had symptoms. Uh, otherwise, they would have been somewhere else. But they all had it. 
But he's thinking at that point that these people are going to get a symptom and then die like the rest of this population. They all recovered quite nicely. And when we wound up, we wound up testing that facility too for three years, three years straight. And um, he didn't lose anybody else. But the sad part was they, they survived COVID, get into the vaccine mandate. And then after the vaccine mandates came out, he lost six, uh, I think three, six of them had clots and three of them passed away. Uh, it's just kind of amazing what you see uh, that doesn't make it to the news because we really could have curbed this thing early on and stopped all this mass chaos. Well, I think it's undeniable at this point. The reason that it, that it hasn't is purely political narratives and um, profits for the pharmaceutical companies, I would assume. Um, and that's when you, when you look at it, not to get conspiratorial about it, but I mean, some of your pharmaceutical companies are some of the biggest <clears throat> contributors and advertisers on the mainstream media outlets that are pushing this narrative. So obvious conflict of interest. Um, but one of the things to, to, to go back just a minute, uh, that I did think was maddening, if, amusing, if not maddening would have been, uh, with the multiple testing, the police officer that <laughs> just wouldn't, wouldn't take his positive test. You know, it was positive. That, uh, yeah, I'm sure and, so and much of that name. happened. It, it did. I know exactly what you're referring to. I know his name, and I won't say it publicly. I, sure. But he's a great guy. And, and unfortunately, you know, it, this is this is common. His story was very common. And folks, I had a, another uh, facility call me up, and one of the gentlemen was complaining that they had 13 false positives that week. And I was trying to explain to him that you cannot get a false positive on a PCR test. That it was in the norm to be asymptomatic. And, and then he came back with the line, but I don't have any symptoms. And I said to him again, it is normal to not have a symptom. You are in the percentile. You try to explain math to people sometimes and they just don't <laughs> get it because they're watching TV and they're seeing these stories. They're watching those death counts on all the networks thinking if I had COVID, I would know I would have a symptom. I, I, this, this conversation comes up every single day. The, the, and the folks that, you know, it's funny, the, the ones that tell me they're immunocompromised, they would know if they had a symptom. And I have to explain to them that 100% of the time, if someone in a household had it, in my data set, every single person had it, but 90% of them were asymptomatic because we would do that. We would test an entire household. And you would find that 80 to 90% of the folks in the household uh, were asymptomatic, but 100% of the time, everybody had it. This thing spread so rapidly, and there's reasons for that. And I get into the science of the why in the book, because I think if you understand the why, it will all make sense when it comes to you know a CT value, which is your viral load, co-infection, comorbidity, because I try to explain to everybody, COVID is not just negative or positive. It is either negative or positive with caveats. And once you understand those caveats and you know how they're measured, it really puts COVID in perspective. That plus timelines, you know, how a virus transmit, how masks actually work. There's so much to understand. And that's the problem. You know, in politics, when you get into the weeds, what do they say? When you're explaining, you're losing, right? Mm -hmm. So same thing in, in COVID. When you're explaining to and when there's too much to, to digest and understand, people kind of just, you know, shy away from it. And now what I find is that so many people have COVID fatigue. They don't want to discuss it anymore. But that's kind of the, the bigger story of the book is that we should really be having a discussion Otherwise, we're doomed to repeat our history. And, and, and if you understand the fact that we've lost so many people, not just due to COVID, but due to vaccine issues, lockdowns, suicides, the, the, the learning curve that the kids have suffered from being out of school for so many years, people should be outraged. They should be angry that their politicians did this, knowing that we had all this information early on. But we didn't want to discuss it. That's the sad part. Absolutely. But I, I think that to, to discuss it now would mean, you know, if people knew, if, if everybody read your book, 
they'd be saying the same thing and that they would demand accountability. And so the, the corporate media that, that's in the pocket of all these politicians, they're, they're not going to do that. They're not going to, they're not going to seal their own fate. But I, I've said that, you know, since, and I mean, I'll just go ahead and say it <clears throat> by my estimation, when the, there was a change, you know, in the Oval Office, the, the COVID death counts didn't take long to disappear from all the tickers on almost every outlet. It didn't last mm-hmm. long in, in my recollection. So, which just further, um, solidifies my idea that it was political since, and again, it's, I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I cut you off. No, no, it's, it's good. I, I was, I was almost done. I, I was going to say, I can explain the numbers to you. It's something that's not in the book, but I've been talking a lot uh, about on interviews and I'll blow your listeners mind. It's really simple stuff, but you got to follow me along for, for a minute and a half. Sure. The reason there's a reason why the numbers went up and down and, and it's very succinct and it's very easy, but most people just don't put two and two together. So before the cares act existed, you had to have a symptom to get a test. Remember no symptoms, no tests. Mm-hmm. All right. So you had to have, and, and one of three symptoms would qualify. That would be either a cough, a fever or shortness of breath. If you did not have a symptom. You were not allowed to get a COVID test. Plus we did not have any testing supplies. So the numbers you saw in the beginning, got a huge spike going up. That wasn't the number of COVID cases in the world. That was the number of COVID cases we could catch up with. However, once testing supplies became readily available, and the most important thing was the addition of the CARES Act. The CARES Act allowed anyone at any time to get a test. You did not have to have a symptom. So as soon as that passed and you tested the entire populace of the United States pretty much all at once, you found out the numbers all of a sudden went way through the roof. You, you saw that, that curve go way up. And all of a sudden you found out everybody had this thing, but the death count wasn't what they predicted in the beginning. Now here's the kicker. Two things. When you institute rapid tests and you give them to eight, eight per household to every single person in America, nobody getting a rapid test is calling the county or the state saying, I have COVID and I'm isolating at home. Nobody's doing right. that. Nobody, those numbers do not, do not get reported. So the advent of the rapid test, all of a sudden that mass scale that you saw in numbers went way down artificially because nothing was getting reported because before that you had to by law report them a PCR test to the state. My labs have to do that. Every lab has to do that. So the numbers were fairly accurate. The rapid tests come out, the numbers artificially go way down. Then the CARES Act expired. So now you're back to, I cannot test you if you came to my office and did not have a symptom. You just can't be exposed to your, you know, your friend's friend (laughs) for 10 minutes to all the things we heard. So I can't test everybody in the community anymore. So now the numbers are way, way down. So when you look at Worldometer or wherever you're getting your numbers from and you see the reported numbers of PCR cases out in the world, those are mostly coming from hospitals or the very, very few that we send off to the lab. Now, we used to send hundreds a day, and now we send maybe one a week, if that. So when you put that in perspective and you realize the numbers, uh, the government can make the numbers disappear very quickly, but nobody has a clue about it. And that's how... That's how you make COVID disappear in a different administration. And all evidence points to the, they're, they would at least like to attempt to, to flare this up again for uh, a multitude of reasons, I'd imagine, but uh, want people to mask up again, mandatory, you know, uh, mandatory lockdowns have been discussed uh, recently. What do you make of that? Yeah, I called my immunologist about, about four weeks ago, and I told him maybe five weeks ago, and I told him we were having a uh, a rise in cases. We were having an outbreak, 
now I can see this because when I get one or two, then there's five and there's 10, and, you know, they don't get reported or whatever you're dealing with in the office. We've done this enough that we've become experts at at least testing on COVID. So when I see that, and my, my immunologist at the time said, no, you're, 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 you're way off base. And then three weeks later, he called me like two weeks ago and he said, Hey, he said, you were right. How did you know? And I, I can just tell you, I can see the trends. They're not hard to spot when you've been doing this long enough and tracking data. So COVID never went away. COVID's out there. But when you have a, a little bit of a flare-up or a minor flare-up and these folks want to go back to these draconian measures, they really do need to read the book. I, I, the problem is with these folks, it's, it's the people that need to read the book that never will read the book, uh, which is why I, mean, I was on with Jimmy Staley at Fox today, and he said, you know, this is a perfect gift idea. If, if somebody <laughs> doesn't understand COVID or that person in your household who is wearing a mask the whole time or sanitizing their groceries, this is a great gift for their stocking stuffer to say, hey, Pay attention. This was what was going on that you you know didn't listen to. People got to start living their lives. Yeah. But to institute mask mandates and lockdown, I mean, come on. We we know we know mask didn't work from the beginning. I never had a mask requirement in any of my offices. We would have patients come in yelling at us saying, "Why aren't you wearing masks?" And we said, "Because we practice smart medicine. We'd rather teach you the proper way to do things and how you can mitigate COVID rather than just going along with some stupidity for the sake of." a narrative or making people feel better psychologically. I mean, we, we drove people nuts with this thing and we didn't need to. So we, we, we just, we didn't do that from the start. Um, we, I don't understand the folks that are trying to do it now. Uh, but if they are trying to go in some direction, whether it's for an election, and I, again, I don't, you know, I don't talk about that in the book, but if you ask me personally, if you saw the government, try to reinstitute some form of the CARES Act where everybody could test again, just so they could drive those numbers up artificially. That's when you got to start to worry about mail-in ballots and, and going into the, uh, you know, the election uh, issues. Absolutely. Uh, which we, when we started this, uh, it would have been after uh, the peaceful protest on January 6th, the mostly peaceful protest on January 6th. Is, is not long after when we started doing this. So COVID w was already kind of in full swing. And, you know, I remember early on our discussions about masks, like everybody knew that even, you know, uh, down here in the South, we knew that, uh, that, that was pointless. And again, we reading real media that a lot of what you had discussed in the, in the book is, is on that in particular was available. But when you break it down to the, like, uh, given like a visual, a visual aid in discussing the size of microns, this, that, and the other, I never knew <laughs> that. And it, it, so I, and I was at the post office today and there's a woman in a mask and, Oh, I saw a guy driving a car by himself with a mask on I have, today. I have more disdain than I ever did. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's infuriating to be honest. Like, yeah. am I allowed, am I allowed to curse on this show? I don't, I don't know. You I, can go for it. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> I had a, I had a, well, if you read my bio, you know, I do comedy, I've been doing comedy as well for 20 some years. That's kind of like my relief. You know, I do all this serious stuff and then I go do a show somewhere across the country. I feature for 25, 35 minutes and I can let loose a little bit. One of the jokes I do on stage, you are know, talking about the mask and I always ask the audience, hey, do you, did you like the mask? And they say, no. And I say, well, why are you still wearing these things? I just saw a guy today on a motorcycle with no helmet, but he had his mask on, which only tells me one thing. This virus ain't killing enough fucking people. So. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, the the show, The Office, one of the characters, they go to a sales meeting. Of course, it's packed with all kinds of people. He just looks around and discusses and says, "We need a new plague." <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, 
I I have this question for you about the vaccines. Um, yeah. You know, I, I had, uh, now we're hearing about, well, not even now, but in the last, well, I guess right after the, during and right after they started, man, you know, giving anybody vaccines and things, um, you just hear about how dangerous it is. And you really, I guess, I never did much research on it because I knew I wasn't going to take it. But um, from what I understand, all of the different vaccines have pretty bad side effects. And I have adopted a daughter. And um, part of that adoption process was uh, a requirement for her to take the vaccine. You know, so like, and nobody else in our household has it or anything. But uh, just from everything I've heard and all your research, what uh, what kind of concerns or, or what should we be watching out for now after a, our teenage daughter was required to have this vaccine? Well, let me let me put you at ease first. When you say dangerous, yeah, there's there's some inherent dangers, but the majority of folks that have had this thing should be fine. And somebody at that age, uh, even even better at not inflaming certain things. However, I'll tell you what we see uh, in practice on the ground. I'll just tell you what the data shows, not, not what I've heard, not what I, you know, it's just plain data from the, our, our patient load and, and folks that we've seen and, and re- done a little research on. What the vaccine, and I'll, I'll start with this. Let me make this clear. We did not not recommend the vaccine because we thought it was going to be dangerous or would have some kind of issues. We did not recommend the vaccine to our patient population because simply it did not work. Uh, this thing works like a flu shot. It gives you 120-day antibody response, which, by the way, is the exact same antibody response you get from COVID. However, when you have COVID naturally, you get what's called B and T lymphocyte memory cells. Those are the cells that help you recognize all of the proteins. And I know, I know you guys have read the book and checked it out. There's, a lot of, there's not that many proteins inside a, a virus captain. There's about 27 of them but you develop this, this memory to them. So the next time you get COVID, you're responding to the spike protein. The vaccine is giving you memory to the spike protein. So as the virus mutates, you are just as susceptible as anybody else to get COVID-19 uh, after you've been vaccinated. So we knew this before the vaccine came out. We were discussing this. I talked to my immunologist about this. What we see in practice, though, is that the spike protein, this, this, this mRNA vaccine, and I'll tell you this, we do not really see much of an issue from J&J. And I only have experience with J&J, Moderna, and Pfizer. I can only speak to what I have experience with. The J&J, well, I should say all three vaccines, you get a little bit of clotting from. Uh, and you've, I'm sure you've heard it referred to as a clot shot because that's what you see in the most in most cases. Right. The majority of major issues, though, come from the mRNA shots. That's the Moderna and the Pfizer that we dealt with. I don't understand why, but I can tell you what we see in practice, and that is that the spike protein travels around the system for at least two weeks. Your ACE2 receptors are picking that up, and what we find in patients, we normally find on what's called an incidental finding. Those spike proteins travel around and inflame areas of instability. It could be the kidney, the heart, the liver, the lung, whatever. In most cases, we, we will have a patient come in for something completely unrelated, unless it's joints, because joints you can kind of feel, uh, right off the bat, but a heart issue, you're not necessarily going to feel that where you have symptoms and you need to go to the hospital. But if you're going to the doctor or the hospital for something unrelated, all of a sudden we're doing an EKG or an echo and we're finding you have plaque in your aorta or an enlarged heart, uh, the pericarditis and the myocarditis you've heard about. So it is inflaming areas. And you do get a lot of young people, especially young males that have heart issues. One of the things that we're seeing in abundance now is cancer, specifically in young people. 
The one that we're noticing the most of is lymphoma. Uh, is there a rhyme and reason for that? <laughs> We've discussed it. Don't have enough data to give you an answer, but the, the lymph nodes are the highway of your uh, of your body, basically. So, And this you know, is, if, if you're I, lymph- I'm sorry to interrupt, but you said ahead, you've please. noticed this in young people, the, the uh, spike in cancer. This has been since the vaccine? Yes. Yeah, I just want to yeah, make that clear only, to everybody. Yeah, it's, it's the only thing we've been doing differently over the last couple of years. It's, 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 and it's obvious to the practitioners out there uh, that even the ones that didn't want to admit or the ones that were running their, you know, their five-year-old off to get a shot because they really believed in this thing. And, and that's kind of sad that the medical community all followed in line in suit with the CDC. That's a point I make in the book. These folks who were recommending this thing, they weren't doing testing. They weren't, they didn't even have half of them had their offices closed, as I mentioned. They weren't doing this for a living. They were literally sitting at home watching CNN and, and, and reciting bylines from, from the CDC, which really doesn't make sense. I, I talk about this a little bit in the book, stay in your lane. I, I said to a, a, car, a um, cardiologist who was talking about recommending vaccines at one point, and then he stopped when he saw issues with it. So you shouldn't have been recommending anything in the first place. You should have said, I don't know. When a patient asks you, hey, what do you think, doc? A lot of these docs were just going back to the CDC saying, well, you know, you're older, you're immunocompromised, go for it. And now a lot of those older immunocompromised people have since passed or developed other issues directly related to right after the vaccine. And, and, and most of the time, the issues that we see from the vaccine aren't the day after or two days after. It's six months later. It's a year later. And they're noticing something that since I got this shot, something has been different in my body. And then they go and get checked out, and lo, lo and behold, you know, it's cancer or lymphoma. It, it's it, it's kind of amazing the increase in numbers that we've seen since the vaccines came out. But no one's really talking about this. They will uh, at some point because I'll tell you that we've been right 100% of the time on our data, and there's a reason for that. You know, we do not talk to patients about stuff we don't know. I'm not going to talk to you about the AstraZeneca vaccine. I never did anything with it. You know, we're going to talk to you about what we see in practice, things we can speak to, because our credibility matters to us. The uh, the media that I generally read, I mean, that they'll cover these high school football stars, all these you know athletes from across the spectrum, you know, high school and college that they're having a myriad of heart issues. But Captain, our own Captain Reverso, he's you know it's yeah that that you mentioned you know these people are going in for routine blood work and then that's you know so so to to touch on my story i was the only one out of this group that um got the shot and um i do have a heart condition so you know i guess my doctor kind of led me down that road uh, to get this shot so uh i would have got it in april of 2020 so you know it's been over three years now since i've had it um back in january i had my normal physical uh, they'd done, you know, all my blood work and everything. Uh, some numbers came back high. So I went back again, let's see, about two, three weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. Got more tests, got my blood done again. Of course, you know, the numbers came back worse. So um, then I had to have some scans done and stuff. But um, came back that I have, well, at first they thought it could have been a, a type of blood cancer, but it wasn't that. It is a primary bilary, I can't pronounce it. It's a C-H-O-L-A-N-G-I-T-I-S. It's bad when you can't okay. pronounce your own medical yeah. condition. Yeah. <laughs> so other, I mean, before the vaccine, of course, other than the heart condition, you know, I've been fine, uh, healthy, you know, exercise, you know, take care of myself. But um, 
And you had a clotting issue too, didn't you? You didn't, you know, when you were talking about getting yeah. cut and yeah, that was also an issue where um, I used I, I say I used to be, I guess I I still could be, but um, I was had hemophilia, so you know, hemophilia, my blood didn't clot, so I always had to be real careful mm-hmm. about cuts, scrapes, you know how that that is. So uh, I was at work one day and I got cut by a piece of metal, and I was telling these guys, you know, usually something like that would be. You know, something I'd really have to keep an eye on and possibly even go to the hospital for. So, I mean, it, it was a pretty good scrape. And, like, normally if I had gotten one like that before, you know, I'd put a Band-Aid on and it, I'd be changing it out constantly for maybe half hour or so. It just depends. And I got cut, cleaned it up. I put this Band-Aid on, uh, went home, got changed drove another half hour to do the show and I took the bandaid off and it barely had a spot of blood on it. Hmm. So you're telling me you're clotting, you're clotting easier, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you guys look, you got to remember, I'm not a medical doctor. Yeah. I, I understand. I would just, yeah. Yeah. Like, these I'm are just true to, story. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is, this is just what we've experienced here. And like, it concerns me if this stuff is starting to come out now, what's it going to be like five or 10 years from and, now? And the stories can be and quantified as anecdotal, but everybody's got one in their, in their immediate sphere <laughs> of, of friends. Right. And no, and that's, that's kind of the point when you see this stuff and data does data takes what years. I mean, it could be five years before you start hearing that the vaccines are directly related to these issues that we're all seeing because people need to do studies. And I can tell you how the studies are done and sometimes they're not done very well, or they don't have a great data, data size. And then part of the other issue is, like I said, you know, a lot of the same times you'll go and report this issue that you're having now, but the doctor is the same one who recommended the vaccine in the first place. And they don't want to report it to theirs. They're not going to bring that to, uh, to the, the vaccine adverse events reporting. You know, they're not going to put it in the system. They're going to say, ah, you're getting older. It's something different. It's unrelated. Um, it, it'll take years before these stories come out. And the anecdotal stories are great because it does add, some credibility when you start to hear them in abundance, when you start, and, and I hate, you know, the people like to use their own uh, stories all the time, uh, which, which kind of clouds the data, excuse it. But for somebody like me who has a larger patient population, when you start to see it in abundance uh, and you can start to correlate the cause, co- the cause and correlation is always the, the big thing, right? I tell a story in the book about my, um, my assistant, Caitlin, and she works with us directly. She didn't want her family getting this vaccine. She implored them not to. Her cousin, who was 13 at the time, had a heart condition. He was under control, AFib, and she said, do not, you know, under any circumstances, do not get him vaccinated. Well, the family is watching CNN all day. So the first thing they wanted to do is run out and get him vaccinated uh, as soon as they were available in 2021. And uh, two weeks, uh, almost to the day after, after he got his shots, heart attack, dead, and, and what do you do? You know, the family doesn't want to believe it. Uh, they're, they're, it, everybody has a little bit of cognitive distortion. It's like the car you bought, that's a lemon, but you spent so much money and, and time, you know, telling your parents or whoever you were buying this car and it was the best thing in the world that you'll never admit it. You want to, you want to keep the narrative going so that it suits you and doesn't make you look bad. Uh, and, and that's a big problem. We all need to have a reality check in this country and say, Hey, what are we seeing? What are we dealing with? It, you know, I, like I said, my data correlates back to those MRNAs. I don't know if you now have a, 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 you know, your clotting factor is up because of that. I would have never recommended a vaccine for you in the first place because you have heart issues. Uh, and the doctors were doing quite the opposite. They thought because you had an issue. I, again, look, you get 120 antibody response. So in, in my office, if you had come to me and said, hey, 
do I need this thing? I would have said, dude, for 120 day, you know, antibody response of something you're going to catch anyway. No, you're better off getting COVID and getting over it. And, and at that point in, in history, you probably had had it already and not even known it is kind of the, 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 the big, you know, eye-opening thing. And most people today will come to me and say, I never had COVID, but somebody in my household had it. And I'll look at them and say, yes, you did. And they'll say, no, I didn't. I would know. And I said, no, you wouldn't know. Cause 90, and I have this conversation every <laughs> single day. And, and, and that's kind of the point. If they knew all that information in the book, People wouldn't, number one, be so scared. We would have never locked down. We would have never worn masks for a virus, which is the second dumbest thing I've ever seen in my lifetime. And no, we wouldn't have been giving healthy people, nonetheless, people that have a potential for a heart issue or a clotting issue, a shot. We did, folks who developed clots, who had uh, factor two or MTHFR, folks who were at high risk of clotting, we weren't doing D-dimer tests to see if there was clotting going on before we gave them the shot. And medicine is not one size fits all. There is nowhere in history where at one point we just said we're going to treat every single person the same. If all of us had cancer, the treatment would be completely different. It, it, it would not, you know, we'd not, not all of us be getting radiation or chemo or for the length of time or whatever it was. But we treated everybody in, the, in this country, nonetheless the world, exactly the same. Giving a 50-pound a, a kid the same dosage a shot a 250-pound you know, man was getting, that's just inappropriate. Nobody does these things, but here we are doing them, and it's, it's, uh, it'll catch up to us at some point. I hope your health issues uh, resolve themselves. But for anybody who has had a shot, who was worried about this, any of your listeners, if you haven't gotten your checkup and you made a great point, go to the doctor, get your blood work, uh, get an EKG if you're of age. Even if you're a little younger, maybe it's a good idea to just get an EKG just to see how your heart's doing. Uh, and most folks, like you know, your daughter, should be fine, and I hope she is. Um, of course, uh, I hope she's fine. But um, we, we just need to be kind of on alert now that there are things floating around and we should be more cognizant. This is where primary care comes into play. And by the way, COVID did that a lot of damage because it, it forced folks into urgent care. They don't have a record of you. They don't, urgent care can't even bill for a follow-up visit. This is where we've gone as a society. COVID did more damage as a whole for things we're not even thinking of. Establish yourself with a primary care. Get your annual blood work and checkup done. Keep tabs on your health, and not just because of the vaccine, because it's the smart thing to do. In, in comparison to uh, H1N1, for example, what would you say? I mean, would there be any legitimate different difference in, which I granted you probably didn't gather anywhere remotely close to the data set you did on uh, COVID. Just from the layman's perspective, it seems to me that, that maybe they've kind of tried this angle before as far as the ability to, to manipulate and control uh the, and, and to get that reaction. Uh, I mean, it's, it's funny you ask that because, you know, I, I said in multiple interviews, I don't think COVID would have been COVID if it didn't happen right in the election cycle. We weren't sure in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. But once we, once we got that data set and went, wait, what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. Then we kind of, it was obvious that there was an error. And, and that's, that's to me is the, just the, the biggest disservice, which I mean, the, in my opinion, the, the, the media is it's a cartel of sorts um it's a propaganda wing uh, of the democratic party and that they did exactly what they were supposed to do and it, like you said as far as individuals and it's uh i like the term cognitive distortion um <laughs> that's a good term but um People, the individual is so ideologically married to to their choice, and the these companies are no different. They're they're not going to relinquish 
the the narrative, uh, which or the only other option, like we discussed earlier, they just don't talk about it. It yeah. just it just disappears. But one of the things too, when you're talking about the practitioners and some that you had even mentioned, government practitioners, pharmaceutical companies, they're all immune from prosecution. So I mean, no matter what was to happen with this thing, and and we all read the stories of the pharmaceutical companies fighting to make sure that the the data they collected during their trials stays under lock and key for years to come. <laughs> yeah. So, and that was one of the initial reasons, like I kind of took a wait and see approach, but whenever they said that they wanted to mandate that anywhere over a hundred employees would, would have to get this to be able to work. I, absolutely not. Um, that, that was, there's no possible way I'm ever going to take, you're not going to tell me I'm going to, what the health decision I'm going to make as the government, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm, I'm not doing that. That was my, on the vaccine, that was my take on it. Yeah, and um, let me ask your your personal opinion on actual COVID treatment because we have experience with this here in our studio amongst us as well as our family. But, you know, this horse dewormer, uh, ivermectin, um, <laughs> I tell you what, it has worked miracles for my family. Uh, when my daughter that actually had to get the, the uh, vaccine, she got COVID when she was in school and we gave her ivermectin, mixed it up in water bottle and gave her the liquid form. And she was actually mad because she had to go back to school because she felt better in seven hours, literally yeah, in seven hours, symptoms disappeared. Same thing for my wife. She was in the bed feeling terrible called up a buddy, you know, cause we're in the South, called up a buddy. Hey man, I need some ivermectin. All right, come pick it up and go over there and give it to her. And literally seven hours later, she's out of the bed, sitting in the living room, watching TV. This is disgusting in the book, by the way. Oh, it is. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, see, I hadn't read the book. Yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, um, and there's, there's a little bit to unpack here too. And I do, I do tell people my perspective. And number one, first of all, the horse wormer that you're talking about, ivermectin, was was developed. Uh, was uh, human trials were done, and it was approved for human use in 1987. It is not a it is not a, a a veterinary medicine. It is it is used as a veterinary medicine in a much larger dose, but there is a smaller dosage for humans. It is it is, it is a human medication as well as a vet medication. It is a is a dewormer. It is an anti-parasitic drug. I had a doctor that uh, used to use it religiously in Florida, and we used to talk all the time. We talked just about every week. And I would talk to the staff almost daily, and we would discuss what we saw. We did not use it in our office. Uh, I will tell you that a, any practitioner has a right to try anything, whether it be hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. Uh, and the folks that were getting beat up for it were getting beat up, uh, it, uh, you know, religiously for no reason whatsoever. I guess because someone wanted to prove a narrative rather than say, "Hey, what can we try to see what offsets this thing?" But I will tell you in practice, the the folks that used it, most of my patients, and we used a very easy regimen of vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, uh, and electrolytes. And, and my patients would tend to recover within a couple of days if they were sick at all. Uh, the folks that were on ivermectin, usually it was the exact same timeline. So can I tell you it works? Honestly, guys, the folks that were on it would recover in the same timeline as my guys. So, you know, if your family didn't take that ivermectin, they may have recovered in the exact same timeline and, and you wouldn't have known it because I think there was a little bit of a placebo effect with it. And some of those medications, it depends on when you take them. Because once a virus has replicated to the point of destroying the mitochondria of your cells, there's really not much you can do. It's like the Paxlovid. 
we didn't use, we, we used Paxlovid in, in my Florida office for maybe a couple of weeks. And what we started noticing was a rebound effect. Paxlovid works just like uh, Tamiflu. But if you don't take Tamiflu in the first 72 hours, it's kind of useless. And a lot of times Paxlovid, we were seeing the same effect. It would kind of calm it. And then all of a sudden they'd get a, a bigger rebound. So I don't know if ivermectin was, was kind of in the same boat without the rebound effect. Uh, and it was more of a placebo effect, but then I had, you know, the doctor that they used to do this every day would, would swear by it, but his practitioners would tell me privately, we don't really see any appreciable effect. So it, it, I'd have to have used it more to, to tell you I, uh, in, in full disclosure, I did use it myself personally the second time I had COVID. Uh, and I did not notice an appreciable difference from the first or third time that I had COVID. Uh, but I don't like to use those anecdotal stories because it skews the data again because I don't have mass data on it. So, you know, uh, ivermectin gave me my story. It's an opinion. But um, it, regardless, someone should be allowed to use it or prescribe it, period. And, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, Donald Trump had said specifically hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, and that's all that they needed to take take that and run with it. Now it was – and I think you actually may have touched on this slightly, is that if he would have said to wear the mask, then it would have been flipped. So the identification <laughs> right. with a political belief was, and, and uh, I think it was the David Hogg kid, in fact, said that he's when they drop the mask mandate, I'm going to keep wearing mine so people know I'm a Democrat. Like, hey, well, good for you. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, I would be lying <laughs> if I said, uh, and, I, and I had forgotten about it. Uh, I remember when it happened, but when Anthony Fauci uh, rebounded from the Paxlovid, I'd, I'd be lying if I said that it wasn't amusing. But And one thing I, I do think is worth noting, given the title of the book, um, you know, I, I kind of thought like, oh, this is going to be like bashing the guy. Like you know, he's barely mentioned. So uh, du- he's barely directly mentioned. So, I mean, it's it's pure scientific data. Data is what it's mostly comprised of. So in, in layman's it, terms. It, it, in, well, mostly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> some of the some of the jargons, you know. Yeah. The, uh, the I, and I've had that criticism before. A couple guys said, "Hey, I really wish you explained this a little bit better." But I, dr- I really try to keep it uh, lay terms. And it, there's there's some scientific stuff, and I tried to break it down as, as, no, know, I mean, as easy yeah, as, as I could. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it, it's good. It's 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 uh, like I said, I I enjoyed the the last quarter of it. Uh, it it's it's real. It's all good. But, uh, it's and again, man, it's it's fascinating just looking back on something that, like you said, the society as a whole through a, a, whatever means uh, be it burnout on COVID more important things just moving on period. I think that this should be dissected for years to come given what they, they put us through. And again, in my industry, you're, you're still feeling the effects of a disrupted supply chain. That's never been corrected. The same thing, the media just doesn't talk about it, but the, the ramifications of what they did, uh, you'll see reverberations for, for years to come. Yeah, and if we don't study our history, we're we're bound to repeat it. I mean, there's there's just there's so much to unpack, and it's hard doing these things on radio or podcast because people can't see the cover. The cover is, you know, I'm, you've all seen it, but it's a depiction of Anthony Fauci with a Pinocchio nose coming through the mask. So yes. the cover the cover is purely metaphorical. And the funny part about it is, you know, I, I'm getting pushback now. Amazon won't let me promote the book online due to what they call current events. Uh, if I put if I put a post on social media, you can see it get suppressed. Uh, it, it, and by the way, the ads that I have running for the book on social media that I have to pay for, uh, the ones that will let me pay for an ad, 
are the, the amount of triggered people at that cover it, it, every day, every maybe every five minutes, I'm responding to some idiot who hasn't read a word of the book, who is making an assumption that I'm bashing Fauci or that, you know, he's a good man. It's like, what would it do? Read the book. It's not about him. It, 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 the book might not be about Anthony Fauci, but it has everything to do with Anthony Fauci. He was the face of COVID. Everybody knows who he is. And it was him and Dr. Burks and just about everybody on the CDC, Dr. Walensky, giving those briefings every day. He is the face of what they were telling us. And it wasn't, it wasn't even not true. It, it, look, there's a lot of untruths there. But withholding information from the public is just as bad as lying. And Absolutely. if you knew this stuff, it, 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 you are derelict in your duties for not telling the public because we, we, it's, like, it's like yelling fire in a movie theater. That's essentially what these guys did. And you're right. They're all in the, the pharmaceutical companies, the doctors who, who, who gave the vaccines. We gave vaccines in Florida. And if a patient came in and said, I have a couple questions, do you mind if I ask you? By the time we were done, he, did, he or she did not want that vaccine. But we, gave, we never gave them in New Jersey, but we did give them in Florida. And uh, if anybody absolutely 100% had to get a vaccine uh, after we started seeing the data, I would say, well, if you're going to get one either way, get the J&J because that's the one we saw the least amount of issues from. Um, but there's no way. Those folks that you mentioned, the 100 or more that worked for a corporation that were forced to get it, it would have been nice if 100 of them stood up and said no because the corporation at that point would have had no choice. But we're controlled, unfortunately, by the 50% uh, that go with the narrative. If you walked onto a plane and 50% of us said, we're not doing the masking, it's stupid. Uh, they still would have flown, but they would have kicked us off. I don't know what that critical mass is. I don't know if it's 60 or 70 or 80%, but that smaller population who goes along with the narrative for sake of, I don't know, is it trust in government or is it just, I want a virtue signal? They, unfortunately, we're living under their rule. And now we see it with hyperinflation, uh, gas prices, energy prices are through the roof. And we have to live with the decisions that they made, even though we were right. And they'll probably never admit that they were wrong. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it, and speaking of Anthony, I mean, I, I can say objectively, I feel that he's a he's an evil he's an evil person. Um, and and you need to really look no further than the emails that were exposed between him and the media chain. You know what I mean about the the wet market and the bats and the lab leak, all the things that the same media that that said that everything we've discussed they said that that you know that that was what happened. The lab leak theory is is a conspiracy theory, and now that's long since been proven to be true that it came from a, a lab leak. And again, the president was uh, roundly mocked for and called him a. a quite a few different things, uh, even xenophobic, I think it was, just racist for mm -hmm. insinuating that it came out of a Chinese lab. So he was anti-Asian and all those things. And lo and behold, that that was that was true. And I think given enough time, the, the bulk of what he said during that time, and again, I think too when he said that, you know, we don't need the, the um, cure to be worse than the virus. And I think that meant more than a vaccine or anything. I mean, that meant the lockdowns. That meant a lot of things. And... And their, their cure was absolutely, and I, I guess that would be the key takeaway from your book, is that their, their quote-unquote cure was absolutely worse than the virus itself. Yeah, I only mentioned him twice in the book, and you know, that's another fallacy that these folks that see the ads think it's a MAGA propaganda or, you know, some Republican talking point or, uh, you know, what are pseudoscience, and they love to beat you up. You know, this, that's all they got. They got I, I name-calling. 
I, I would not have a problem if it was that necessarily, but you know, um, that, that would absolutely, to be that would cheapen your work. It's, it's definitely not that. Um, and again, you know, uh, I, I don't know how to, how to really say it, but I think that, and I think that's about a, a lot of people in the medical field, police, fire, but you being out there in the trenches at that time when, you know, it's, it's easy to sit back now um, for people like us in, in armchair quarterback, but you didn't, you weren't a hundred percent when you're out there running house to house, running these tests. I mean, God bless the fact that you and the fact that you're able to do that. And I mean, I, I would go as far as to say that's a patriotic duty. I mean, there wasn't a lot of people out there doing what you were doing. Well, I appreciate it. You know, I, I did a, this, this information wasn't new to us. We'll be new in April and May of 2020. We tried to get out. I actually did a, and that I'm hearing that now people will come to me and say, well, you know, this hindsight's 2020. And I point them to, there's a, a friend of mine who has a podcast, much like yourselves. His name is Mike Calderese. It's called Calderese Unleashed. He gets a lot of mentions from me now because I did a long form interview on his podcast that two hours long that was recorded in, in August of 2021. And most of what's in the book is on his podcast. And he can consistently points that out and says, folks, go listen to episode 101. We were trying to tell you. What's the old saying? You could fool some of the people some of the time, but not all the people all the time. And, mm-hmm. and now CNN and MSNBC and the mainstreams are starting to kind of, I don't want to say come around, but you get leaks of them coming around. Last week there was an interview. I, I gave a lot of uh, back and forth on my interviews about people were asking me about the, uh, the, the, the reporter that was questioning Anthony Fauci on the new uh, epidemiologist report that mass had no appreciable value. And he was on TV saying, well, you know, in a personal way, and you're talking around the issue. <laughs> they're starting to catch up and they're starting to question him a little bit before that he was, he was God to them and whatever he said went. Now they're kind of catching up, but it's a little too, it's too little too late, CNN. It's too little too late MSNBC and MSNBC will never come around. It's more of a, yeah, it's, it's like a tabloid. I mean, I don't know why people watch that. My mother's one of them, by the way. My mother watches that station, and she's still afraid to go out of the house. She's, you know, she tells me to get a shot all the time. And I'm like, Ma, I, I do this for a living. Like, so there's she, my mother still thinks there's Russian collusion from 2016, even though that was proven. <laughs> oh. so, so you know, these these networks are doing a lot of damage to folks, and people really got to wake up and realize they're, they're they're you know pay attention. They should be listening to your show right now. I mean, you guys. You guys sound well-educated. You ask pertinent questions, but we ignore that. Why do we do that as a society? Because it doesn't fit our narrative. Don't we want to know the truth? Well, and that's one of the things too, that as far as the severity of, you know, it wasn't just the the mainstream media outlets. I mean, so the talk shows, I mean, it was, it was repugnant. It was nauseating. One of them was uh, Stephen Colbert and uh, they were doing uh, the song tequila, but it was vaccine uh, yeah. and they were dressed up as syringes. I remember that. I mean, this yeah. stuff went to a place that I, yeah, we covered that on one of the yeah, episodes and, and they, you know, they had the Fauci shirts like, and we, and like we've already discussed, how do you put your faith in this one individual? And then remember he is on record saying that he is science. Yes. <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> and people accepted this people. Man, I just don't get it. But uh, which, obviously, if you look at other things under the umbrella of the Democrat Party that are being pushed right now, it, it, medically, as far as you know, the sexuality things, uh, extreme cockamamie stuff. 
anything goes. I mean, it's no wonder that people would accept, uh, you know, sexually mutilating a child, giving them hormone blockers w- would fall for this. I mean, that's that's what, and you got to think about it politically, and that's obviously that's mainly what we discuss here. So you have a fresh batch every four, you know, every time a presidential election rolls around, they, they've already indoctrinated a multitude of high school and college students to, to think a certain way, and they're very susceptible to all this. So they've been taught to trust these these media outlets. And I remember, I think it was the Morning Joe. Uh, so I can't remember what specifically about COVID it was, but you you can't say that. You you come to us for that information. <laughs> you know, it, it, and and people accept this. It's it's mind boggling, but that uh, it, I mean, a science class in middle school encompassed so much more scientific method than than anything that I heard that guy say. It's Sure. sure. Yeah. I mean, and Dr. Fauci should know that science evolves. You know, you remember when the media used to ask questions like you guys are doing to try to decipher it and get to the bottom of it. The media doesn't do that anymore. The media doesn't ask questions and then give the counter argument to say, well, why? They just kind of accept it as, 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 by, you know, as gospel and go. And, and that's sad. And it's, it's sadder that we have adults living in this country that, that buy that nonsense. I mean, you know, you should be asking questions. You should be a little bit concerned it's your health at the end of the day it's your arm that they're putting the shot in it's why are you telling me to go get a shot when you've been vaccinated you're wearing a mask why do you have to yell at me i don't you know what, what, what are you trying to tell me you're 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 you pick the narrative and you want to tell me you voted for biden okay fine great get away from me right. uh you know it's it's it, 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 and you get into the um the other medical stuff with the you know the kids i mean i i, I shake my head i i can't it, it breaks your heart when you when you really see it um, and, and for those, and I have friends that I've worked with in the comedy arena, uh, who are trans, but they're adults, sure. uh, you know, that, that's fine. You're an adult. You can make a decision. The brain's not fully formed. So you're 25, but, but we're letting kids who are 13 make these decisions. If, if I could go back and fix, I'd fix a lot of decisions I made when I was 13 and they weren't nearly as serious. Absolutely. Yeah. So because of this virus and the vaccine, where do you see us being or where do you see things going in the next five to 10 years? Well, I wrote in the book that if you ask my estimation, uh, I would think that we probably shorten the lifespan of the populace by about three to five years. And that's a a conservative estimate. It's probably more seven to nine years. Uh, We see a lot of medical issues. I implore folks, to get there, you know, like I said, go to your primary care doctor, get your blood work done. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I don't want to, most people are going to be fine. We have a, a big population, but for the ones that have an issue and they're susceptible, they're feeling a little off. Your joints are starting to bother you. You got a, you know, a, a, a pain in your chest. Go to the doctor. Don't go to urgent care. Go to somebody who has a record of you, uh, somebody you trust, maybe somebody who didn't shut their office down during the middle of a pandemic when we needed doctors and nurses most. Uh, go to somebody maybe who thinks a little clearly. I wouldn't go to somebody. If you got one of those plastic things hanging on your office or you're forcing me to wear a mask in your medical office, if you don't understand science, I don't trust your opinion. I'm leaving. I'm finding someone who does. Amen. And I think Good we advice. Need to be a, well, I mean, that's, and it's simple stuff, right? You think people would do this. I got a lot of folks that tell me, oh, my doctor's great. And I don't want to bash doctors. There's a lot of good ones out there. I mentioned, I mentioned one doctor in the book, Dr. Marty McCarry. He was probably 95% on from when I heard him speak on television. I was like, he's got it. But most of the other ones, eh, 
And there's a lot of good reporters who had it as well. And there's some other doctors who were out there. America's frontline doctors did a great job. Uh, Dr. Simone Gold, by the way, lost her medical license in California. Yes. She just got it back. But the fact that they took her license away for saying the same things that I'm saying, and I don't have a medical license. I'm a research doctor. I can say this stuff. So, you know, but w- w- same way I got an office, you know, we're, we're worried about being shadow banned and, you know, somebody coming out and canceling us. But what, what, if that's the concern, I, I, I care about my patients. I care about, you know, my friends and my family. I'd rather tell them the truth, let them make their own decision. And information is power. So where do we go in the next five years? We got we to really evaluate what we just did in the last three. We, we should learn all this stuff, learn the who, what, where, when, how, and why, analyze that data, try to make a, a cognitive decision on where we can go, start to maybe change our approach. But I hate to say be angry because, you know, as, as Christians, right, we're all taught to forgive. But there are some folks out there that need to be held accountable that are definitely culpable for, for screwing up the entire world for the last couple of years. And I think those people need to be held to account. Um, I don't know if it's ever going to happen with all the immunity that everybody has, but as a society, you got a lot of power with your vote. Well, <laughs> I'm going to talk about the last election. We thought we had a lot of yeah. power with our vote. At one time, we had a lot of power with our vote. And, and uh, I'd like to, to uh, be cautiously optimistic, not necessarily even optimistic, but the current polling – um, is trending higher for Donald Trump than it ever did in 2020, knowing those numbers were, were skewed, and these numbers still are, but even CNN's admitting he's four to five percentage points ahead currently, and I don't see any reason that, that doesn't change. But, uh, you know, just like Tucker Carlson said, and it seems taboo, but he asked Donald Trump in their interview, "Do you, are you worried that they'll try to take you out? Because, I mean, that would be a legitimate concern because, I mean, they've, they've, they've went to such ridiculously outlandish lengths to – to keep this dude out of office. And, and there's a multitude of reasons as to why, you know, in my opinion that they would want to do that. But um, one of the things that, that I, I was just reading today, the, the, some of the, the old guard in the GOP is already approaching Trump. You know, just, Hey, don't, don't stop the Don't try to stop the Ukraine war. <laughs> like we need to stay. It might Pence will be one of one of the people advocating for staying in Ukraine. Like it's just, it's so far out there, but and and I think this all everything we've discussed was just one one prong of a multi tiered approach to get him out of there. Is is and that that's basically been my belief the whole almost the entire time since since this you, arose. You, you, you just reminded me of something. I don't mean to keep going back sure. to my book, but it it kind of has to do with the greater you know. I, the other day, I, I was just curious, and I went to Google Bard, and I googled what is Fauci's book. And I just sent this answer off to um, my friend Dan Ball at OAN because I just was on the air the other day and I said, hey, if you want a great story, we got to talk about this. It, it said it's a book released by Dr. Michael J. Schwartz in 2023. And then all of a sudden, everything after that was a complete fabrication. So it said I made claims about Fauci, this, that, about he profited off the, the, you know, the, the pandemic. But you know, you read the book. It's, that's not in there. No. Then I asked it. I said, can you give specific examples? And it said, sure. And it went on. And then I said, can you please cite page numbers? So it actually went and said on page 32, Schwartz said this. I'm reading it. I'm going, this doesn't say, I looked in the book on page 32. Not, not only does it not say it on page 32, 32, it doesn't say it anywhere in the book. And then it went on to page 34, 36. And I, I, I said to, to Dan, I said, I think Google is, is just, it's somebody's programming this. And I felt like at that moment, I was living in the matrix because you and I can all discuss these things and these issues about the election and COVID and, kind of go, well, we're logical people. We can get to a concise answer. 
I think it, the greater problem in this country is that most of the information that's out there is completely fabricated. So w- when you have somebody watching TV, like my mom, who watches MSNBC, and every single pundit she sees on television is telling her one thing, when she hears the opposite from us, she thinks we're nuts. And her opinion in her mind is based in logic because logical to her is everyone is feeding her this information, whether it's Google bar or MSNBC or CNN, how do we get beyond that guys? I mean, we're fighting a huge machine here. I have to go on TV to tell people that, Hey, Google has lied about my book. It doesn't say any of these things. It actually said that I had three reviews, one in the New York times, the LA times, and in the Washington post that don't exist. And it actually quoted those reviews on my book. So when you're making up stuff and people just blatantly believe it, we have a, a, a tough road to hoe. I don't know how we're going to get beyond that. Nonetheless, win an election. I, I think that that would be uh, a more accurate summation. You know, when he asked where we'd be in five to 10 years, I think that that's the direction it's going with artificial intelligence and everything else that the information will, will be in such a controlled state if, if something doesn't happen now. And I think there's high potential that it could be too late to even rein any, some of that, that in. Cause there's no, and I don't want to sound like an alarmist, but there's no guarantee that it's a human that's actually modifying that and not a machine because the technology is that advanced. Yeah. Um, the, uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to, to go back to just real quick, the, the patient that developed plaque in her aorta post-vaccination, was that your patient? Yes. What? Yes. And, uh, I, I know her very well and, um, yes. And she has studies to show that it wasn't there. There was a CT scan to show that it wasn't there in 2020 and it's there now is the same very patient has an enlarged right atrium. Uh, and she has an EKG to show that uh, her, EK, her EKG was perfect actually six months before the vaccine. And then exactly six months after the vaccine, that uh, EKG came back abnormal to look like it mimicked an MI. She had to go then for further studies and echo where it showed an enlarged right uh, atrium. Uh, and then uh, I guess it would be about a year and a half later, um, discovered the plaque in the aorta and pulled the study from 2020 to show it wasn't there. These are all post vaccine injuries, um, that same patient gets an earache every time she gets COVID, uh, which we learned. And I, it's, it's an anecdotal story, but it's probably not in the book. Um, but the first time she had COVID, she had a very bad earache and she actually lost her hearing for about six months. So she had told me, well, maybe about, I want to say about nine months ago, she had a pain in her ear and we were kind of out of COVID at that point. And then she told me about three days later, she said, that pain in my ear is still bothering me. And I looked at her and I said, I wonder if you have COVID. And she said, no, come on. You know, there's no way. Let me just test you for the hell of it. And I did. The next day I called her up laughing. I said, guess what? You got, you got COVID. COVID inflames her. She's got, this is what I'm talking about with those vaccines and with, with COVID. COVID is just as bad as the vaccine. And that's a whole nother conversation. Like we should be talking about, you know, the last, we were on that. And I have kind of dated a point that it was. Uh, the lab leak versus zoonotic. And I talked about that uh, a little bit in recent interviews, but I don't mention it in the book. And we have some data to point to that, but it inflames areas of instability, whether it's COVID or the shot. So if you've gotten the shot three times and then you got COVID, you know, right after that, you've essentially had COVID four times. I wouldn't want to get the flu four times in a short period of time as doing damage to your body. That is kind of the point. It's not going to, it might not kill everyone. They might not have a heart attack and die, 
But if it's inflaming something in your body that is an area of susceptibility, a weak area, that's where you see folks that, you know, this, this particular patient might lose her hearing in her 70s, but now her ear is being affected in her 40s. Uh, that is, those are the kind of things that we're seeing that alarm me, that, that stand out when you see cause and correlation. And it, it, uh, it then raises those red flags to then talk about it uh, in platforms like this. One of the things that, that that's why that specific instance stood out to me was, um, and you may have not seen it, a lot of people probably thought it was uh, bonk, but the, uh, what was the name of that that documentary with the Laura Loom or the... Uh, oh, uh, uh, After Armageddon. No, 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 this was... Uh, what the war they were pulling all the stuff out of the people's veins. What was that called again? Oh. It was uh, I, it's right there on the tip of my tongue. There, it's a uh, can't remember. Oh, the white fibrous. Yes. Thing? What was the name of that? I forget the name. Of I mean, that. they're they're going through and show. So what it was was all these morticians around the country have been seeing these same things. They're pulling all these people that had these heart conditions and died. Oh, died suddenly. That was the name of yeah, it. Yeah, died. Yeah. Too. So and I mean, it looks legitimate, but they're pulling out these. Uh, uh, White fibers. Yeah, I mean, the plaque. They're yeah. pulling this plaque out of these people when they're embalming them. Like, they can't embalm them before they move this sponge. It's, it's, I mean, they've got video of it. It's very disgusting. But, I mean, to me, it looks very legitimate. Like, I don't I don't know why anybody would do that. But, again, the people that, that are um, the in the documentary are all, all morticians, the people that worked at the funeral homes. Yeah, they had never seen anything like this before. Yeah. And so... Hmm. Um, if you haven't seen it, I'd, I'd implore you to check it out. Uh, uh, what I just said, it died, died suddenly. suddenly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty fascinating. If maybe you'll get a kick out of either way, if you don't believe it, but <laughs> what, no, I'll, I'll definitely, yeah, I'll definitely check it out. It's uh, and again, like, and it's funny. I want to implore the name of Alex Jones, like because I've traditionally like thought Alex Jones was crazy, but the longer this goes, he's he's right on a lot of these issues, <laughs> and, and this would, this would specifically be one of them. You know what I mean, like. Yeah. The guy's delivery is a little maniacal, but he tends to be right more often than not here lately, which is, is scary. But yeah, that yeah. that was uh, that. You got to check that out, man. It was nuts. But uh, I, I would be interested to know what your take on that was, if and when you watch it. But uh, where can people find your book? Where can they find you online? Uh, I always direct everybody to Amazon. I know a lot of people hate Amazon, but uh, Amazon's probably the best platform to find it. It is everywhere. It is on Barnes and Noble. It is on Goodreads, Google Books. It is everywhere. Uh, all you got to do is Google Fauci's fiction. Uh, I had a publishing offer, and the publisher actually spelled the name of my book wrong, so I never emailed the publisher back. Uh, I figured if they really want it and they really like it that much, they should probably spell the name of the project correctly, but that's just me. But Fauci's fiction. Uh, it's available anywhere. It is uh, a paperback. It is hardcover. It is on Kindle. It is getting great reviews. Um, so you can find it. Um, but it, I am having a hard time just getting the word out. So I do a lot of interviews, TV, radio, podcasts. Uh, it, it, it is really tough to get that critical mass. And, and, and I even had my liberal friends say to me, Mike, everybody's got to read this book. You know, there's so much information in here that would just change the narrative of the country and folks are buying it just for the cover alone, but please read it. I, I, you know, get back to me. I return all my messages. I'm happy to do uh, any kind of press. I, I think, um, you know, of course, you know, you want to sell books, but uh, there, there's a lot of personal in there too, about my dad uh, who, who I lost this past year and, you know, I think it, I think it definitely had some kind of correlation to the uh, three Pfizer's he had, uh, which I implored him not to get. And I wish you know he had the opportunity to read this before uh, he went that route. But 
uh, unfortunately, we are where we are. So I hope that it might save somebody else's life down the road. Yeah, that, that was heartbreaking to, to, to read that. Um, I would be remiss uh, before we uh, get off here if I did not ask about the professional raw dogger. <laughs> I, I laughed so hard when I saw that. <laughs> I just, yeah, that, that, you know, was, I, that was funny. Great. And I told that joke on stage, too, because it's a true story. I actually told that joke the night that the, the kid came into the office in Key West. But it's just a great anecdotal story to point out how how nuts we are after three years. I mean, he did it in the middle of the pandemic, but we're adults. We, we should know how testing works. We should know that, you know, if you're sick, stay home. It, these are the same folks that will get a positive test from me on a PCR and then run off to do a home test just to get a negative so they can go back to work or whatever it is. What, why is that appropriate? You know, come on, guys. It, and if you got RSV or the flu, stay home. What are we, what are we doing? We, we've changed the world for a, a, a good and worse, but I think more worse in this instance. And we could really change it for a lot of good if we just paid attention and got on the same page. But, yeah, professional raw dogger, man. He was uh, – I'll never forget that guy. It was, um, the, the great thing little, is, if people want to know what that is, they're going to have to read the book. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And so, which I will get a phone call from my dad. Well, son, what's a professional raw dogger? Hey, read the book. I guess him. I'm going to have to read the book too. It's it's, it's amusing. I yeah. No, I am after this. You know, I'm yeah. on chapter yeah. three, so am I getting close? I speed it up, dude. I wish I had everybody's names. I sent one down to you guys, and I appreciate you reading it, but I only have Buford's name at the time. So, Buford, I think that's signed to you, right? Yeah. Uh, he yeah. sent it to my house. So. I sent it, I, yeah. yeah, I sent it to Stanley's good. house. Yeah. So, because uh, with everything I've had going on, um, I haven't really had much opportunity to do much reading, uh, more listening to audiobooks. But he said, hey, if you send it to my house, I'll read it before we have him on. So, Which, I, again, I thoroughly enjoy it, and I recommend to everybody. It's it's information we all need. It, it's, uh, it's staggering, really. I mean, it's uh, nothing just because of what, what I usually read, um, nothing – Nothing much really surprised me, um, but it, it's 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 amazing that you were out there doing that when you were doing it, and um, the few things in the in the data is is that that would be surprising. Um, it, so basically, everybody's had this, and they probably had it sooner rather than later, and nobody and multiple times. Yeah, I mean it's it's, yeah. it's 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 absolutely worth the read. So yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate you. that, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate uh, all that. It took a lot of heart and a lot of time. And, uh, I really do appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And uh, we'll I'm going to link to it. In the, yeah, in the we'll have links to uh, everything, and, and we'll have uh, uh, yeah, all that in, in the show notes and everything, um, and how they can buy your book and, and your website and all that kind of it's stuff. So, yeah, thank you very much. Radio. All you can't sing about it, they'll show you the door. Cause Nashville ain't got any balls anymore. They cast you aside, hope you'll tuck tail and leave. But you ain't ever met an old boy quite like me. Well, I'd rather be real than put on a fake show. But that's too true for radio.